Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to Kotaku Split Screen, the only podcast that takes place inside a virtual reality. It's February 13th, 2020, and Kirk beat the evil within too. I'm still playing Death Stranding because I made a video game plan and I'm sticking to it, but I'm also not because I played Super Metroid as well. We bring on Kotaku senior reporter Nathan Grayson to talk about the Metro Exodus DLC, as well as his recent reporting on Twitch, Mixer, and the widening world of streaming. We close out the show with off-topic talk about every dog in the John Wick franchise, Birds of Prey, and Kirk's music pick of the week. Let's get to it. And we are back for another episode of Kotaku Split Screen. I'm Maddie Myers, and I'm joined only by Kirk Hamilton. Hi, Kirk. Hello, Maddie. Nice to see you. This is the last week before Jason comes back, right? That's true. Am I right? That is correct. He'll be back next week. Very exciting. Amazing. Finally, we can find out what he thought about Uncut Gems. I've just been counting down the days (laughs) until we can talk to Jason about those absurd basketball bets, what he thinks of them, what what was and wasn't absurd about them. Yeah. I can't, I truly can't wait. No, I'm looking forward to it. Also, I think, I feel like we can finally talk to him about Disco Elysium, right? Because you and I both finished while he was gone. Mm -hmm. So we've got a lot to do next week, but we have a lot to do this week. So so first up, I, I think we should mention that Bioware had a, had a little announcement to make about they did. Anthem, a game that has been <laughs> going really well. Heard of it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just I, a really critically celebrated, beloved video game. Is it? So it, it turns <laughs> out that Bioware would like to change Anthem. It turns mm. out that they'd like to change quite a few things in it. And <laughs> they intend to do so. They intend it to be a total reinvention. And we're all going to have to wait a little bit, but there's going to be a new Anthem that comes out. And then maybe that'll be the day that I finally play Anthem. Mm. What do you think about this, Kirk? I think this is such a, this is just the latest in a pattern. This is something that's happened a whole bunch of times. It's like, at this point, kind of a tale as old as time that mm-hmm. a service, online service game comes out and has a lot of problems and then gets some sort Years of a, later. Right. <laughs> yeah. Some sort of a fix. I am skeptical but not because I don't think they can fix it or whatever. Like, there's some good stuff in, in Anthem, just mm-hmm. the fundamentals of the game. It's fun. The flying around is fun. It, it's I, I guess I shouldn't just say it's fun, because it's, like, not that fun, or parts of it <laughs> are like not that fun. And, like, specific parts of it are fun, yeah, like flying has, around is what exactly, I always hear is like fun. Yes. Iron Manning around is fun. It seems like they have some good raw materials. It's very beautiful looking, though I gather the engine is kind of a disaster. Mm. Um, And this is, of course, something that Jason reported. This is basically just confirming something that Jason had reported a little while ago, which was that people kept saying, oh, Bioware's abandoned Anthem, where in truth, they hadn't, they were like doubling down. It's just they need the time to make it work. Yes. I guess I'm skeptical because this kind of a reinvention of a game tends to be something that values what the people who played it a lot say they wanted. 
Um, this was yes. true of Destiny 2, and I'm always a little skeptical that that results in a game that a bunch of new people are going to want to play. Do you know what I mean? It seems like it's more, it's more likely that the people who liked Anthem and played a lot and then were super frustrated with, like, really crunchy end game shit that I didn't even understand where it was like this one gun is too powerful and this like one ability is broken like I was like I didn't even play more than 10 hours because I just got bored and that's more of a problem I would say than the balance of the end game but I feel like this is going to be more about those people but maybe that's not the case but I guess that's kind of how it feels to me these days when one of these games announces this gets reinvented or or is that just that you feel like that's how do I phrase this? Hmm. I what my dream for Anthem would be would be the opposite of that. Would be that they right. would actually fix it so that someone like me who's never played Anthem but has merely heard a lot about it, heard right. that the flying is cool, heard that there are some beautiful environments in it, but also that it's boring and that it has a mm-hmm. lot of problems, doesn't have any of the things about a Bioware game that you like, which is usually story, characters. Yeah. That's that's it. That's the end of that list. Right. But you're basically saying you think that this reinvention will cater more to the people who are still playing the game. But I mean, we're speculating. We don't we don't have I any guess idea so. what will it's, happen. But right. It's I guess it's I'm kind of speculating based on previous games because the right. things that the things that I like I'm with you on that's what I would like to see. I would like Anthem to basically become a different video game, which yeah. then the minute you say it like that it's like, "Oh right, that's Oh, well, it can't be." Right, that's the problem is like it is easier to retool the combat and to like change the numbers on the guns and like to change things up and add some new, you know, animations and enemies and like progression systems. Like that stuff that is those feel more like I'm sure they're all very difficult to do, but they feel more like knobs and levers that you can but adding mm-hmm. good characters and a story and a world that isn't just kind of this weird ass like who that, who even knows what was going on in that world it was just a very strange alienating place that seems like how do you fix that right like you, without making a new game without making anthem 2 and yeah, fixing I don't it know. so this blog post that bioware did did kind of sound like they were going to be making a new game though for Maybe, better or yeah. worse like i read it and i was like that's it's very short and very vague so Mm -hmm. who can truly say what the reinvention of anthem will look like right but it'll be interesting to find out it will be i guess and i think that no man's sky is probably the closest to a game that actually reinvented itself in a way that if you played no man's sky now it would be a really cool experience for you as someone who was always like i don't know i didn't want to play it it looked kind of weird or or unfinished if you played it now you it would be like oh wow i'm playing a really Really cool cool video game and it welcomes you in it's really neat it's like really feels like the promise of that game where most games like i'm thinking of destiny and the division it's so much more like oh we like gave the people who are still playing the game six months later what they wanted and i don't know i guess that'll that'll be the make or break thing for me at least with anthem is if it's the one or if it's the other Mm mm-hmm and I guess we'll find out. All we right, will. so let's talk about some games that we're playing. Let's do, do. you want to go first? Because you've stuck to your plan and you're still <laughs> playing games on your list. There's so. got to be. Yeah, that's funny that just last week you're like, I'm going to do it one Listen, game at a time. I'll talk about that later, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you're I think there's like. You're playing the evil within two. You're doing a great job. You're sticking to the plan. Stuck with it. I think if you travel, there's maybe got to be exceptions for travel and. Mm-hmm. Just extenuating circumstances uh, yeah, in extenuating life, circumstances. not feeling exactly. like playing the game you're supposed to play. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure, that can be part of it. Yeah, I finished The Evil Within 2. Um, it took me about 17 hours. Pretty To beat it, so you beat it. Game. Oh, I beat it, yes, I just finished it this morning. I like got up before we recorded and I was like, okay. This is and it. clearly at like, the last boss or the second to last boss, I'm just going to 
power through the ending. I was a little, I was ready for it to end by the end. It's like, mm-hmm. like all video games are just a little too long. This just felt like maybe three hours too long. Yeah, it's a really good game. I recommend it. I, I know a lot of people are sort of, I think that it's a lot of people's, oh, one day game. Like it's in yeah. that kind of backlog. And thing, it was yours. It while. was, yeah. I had it that way, and I was like, that's kind of why why I played it. I put it in my sort of list of games to play. Um, and yeah, I do like it. Uh, so I talked a, quite a bit about it last week, so I don't have a ton new to add. The do second you feel half, like the story came together? Because I remember last no. week you were talking about feeling like <laughs> each story was very disparate, and you were like, I don't know if one person's going to be the final right. big bad or not, and that never quite no, happened. It, well, they try. They try valiantly, <laughs> but no, it doesn't. It didn't work for me narratively. Um, I didn't play the first game, but I did kind of know what had happened in that game, and it does tie back to the first game in some ways that... At least if you played the first game, you'll see like characters or enemies and like symbolism that you recognize, and that'll lead to a nice feeling of sort of continuity that I mm-hmm. didn't really get because I don't care if like the big guy with a safer head is like attacking me again. Like, I'm like, okay, whatever, it's just a big boss. Um, narratively, though, no, I mean, it's the story of a guy trying to rescue his daughter from this, like, I mentioned this, like, VR mindscape that he goes into, you know, it's right. like a game this, within a game. I a game remember that a game. part. And so there's a kind of a, there's some really cool potential with the characters in the outside world and Kidman, she's your kind of handler who, mm-hmm. as the game progresses, it becomes clear is like on your side against the people who have created this thing who are called Mobius and are this kind of evil, you know, organization. They're like Umbrella Corp. I mean, there's a uh-huh. lot of Resident Evil in this game. Like, I mean, it, okay. literally, like, to the, like, stoic woman and the strong man, like, and the little girl that they're rescuing. Like, it feels like Resident Evil 2. Like, by the end, I was like, wow, this is really um, clearly, you know, executive produced Inspired by the director. By of, a love letter to, et cetera. Yeah, and Shinji Mikami, obviously, was, like, the creator of this series. Uh, so, but the second half is weaker than the first half. The It's all in the boss. So I talked about that photographer. There's this like maniacal art, artiste photographer who's the main bad guy of the first half. And he's kind of reworking, remaking the world to his, in his image. And so he turns up in all these different ways. There's like a huge camera lens, like this Lovecraftian camera lens creature or like you know that's that just like looms over everything shining its lens down and then he's there and he you know is taking pictures and freezing time he's really cool he's a colorful character a great villain and leads to all these cool levels and then you defeat him and then there's a new guy that takes over who sucks compared to him like he's just uh. this guy who's like my, my thing is fire and then you're in these kind of dungeons and there's just fire everywhere and I'm like you know I'm just like in these you know how scary fire is yeah it's, it it's just looks really like spooky it's like hell world stuff like I've been in a million sure. video game hell worlds where there's like pentagram like symbols on the walls and blood and uh-huh. fire and like skulls and I'm just like this is stupid like I and so I was kind of just over that because you don't fear hell you just don't you I don't, don't I just have no fear I have no existential fear because we're already there man <laughs> that's like. really what it is I'm like this just feels like outside to me no yeah. big deal there's some, it definitely, you know, it shows, it's such a video games thing. It's just, it shows all it the is. signs of video game development where they had their best ideas, they front loaded them, they didn't have as much time to spend on the second half, they had to make mm-hmm. some cuts, They're, they wound up going with some kind of boring environments. There's a thing where, like, there's a, another character who turns up and her thing is, like, white goo, and she has these, like, white goop monster that's this huge, crazy looking thing that's, like, just dripping with slime, and it's awesome. And I was like, what is this? Like she turns up halfway through and I kind of thought that was going to be 
like a major enemy in the game. And then yeah. it kind of isn't. And then it's like Hellman turns up. And I was like, oh, where did like goop go? The goop was good. I don't like fire. I want goop. And so I was disappointed by that. But that again felt like they prototyped this thing. They had an idea. Mm-hmm. They didn't have time to put it in. The goop was too expensive, whatever. And Fireman was easy. So they just went right. ahead and threw that right. guy in. And they threw were like, that'll in. be it. That'll be the big climax. Right. And then they kind of runs out of gas. There's cool stuff at the end. There's a neat thing with some intercutting between the outside world and Kidman ah. and you on the inside world that's really that's, good and I was like I bet this was so hard to string this together but it would have been awesome if they could have done a little more of that mm-hmm. um, kind of you know like in the Matrix when they're fighting the robots in the outside yeah. while they're still in the Matrix trying to get out like it's that and same that feeling that sounds like exactly what that game should do because yeah, you have exactly. that like weird Assassin's Creed-esque like right, game within right. a game thing and like have, mm-hmm. have that duality be a part of the horror somehow that would be really cool but mm-hmm. it, it, I can totally see how difficult that would be to right, actually exactly. like snapping between two characters but that was cool i liked the ending the final boss is like bananas it makes no sense narratively like i was so just like what the this is stupid like from a character standpoint what was happening at that point i was like they don't know what they're doing they're just trying to come up with a reason to do this boss fight so the narrative didn't work for me but i like the game overall and i do recommend people play it it's fun it also becomes less open world as it goes it's like a couple open world hub areas but then it becomes more of a linear kind of a thing so it isn't quite the like open world horror game that I thought it was, but that's also fine. It, it it had enough of that stuff. So, yeah, good game. I liked it. All right. I guess it's my turn. Yeah. So, last week, I said that I was going to play games in order and only play one game at a time. You made a solemn pledge. You are like, I and I will play, never play another video game if I break, break this rule. <laughs> <laughs> and I said I was going to play Death Stranding. I did play a little more Death Stranding. Mm-hmm. I already talked about this last week, but I'm having sort of a problem with Death Stranding where it's just not quite the game I'm in the mood for right now. Yeah, so I might it's... just change the order of my list and and not I think that's allowed. play it. Mm-hmm. I, like This is the problem with this list system is that it doesn't account for me being in the mood to play a certain game versus another right, game. It, right. It's like, well, I'm only playing this one video game, so if I don't really feel like playing Death Stranding, that's too damn bad Gotta because read a book the game instead. I've decided <laughs> I'm going to play and that actually is what I did like I was like yeah. I guess I'll just watch a movie or and, and yeah. that's not that, that that's not isn't so bad how this is supposed to work well I mean if your job so... is having opinions about video games it can be a hindrance but in general that's yeah, actually kind bit. of okay like to, to oh, just sure. put the game down if you're down a regular and... person who doesn't right. have some who type among of... us is regular anymore though really <laughs> some type of weird compulsion to keep playing video games all the time which uh-huh. I do and then also sure. it's my job so I but I actually would like to see the end of Death Stranding and I'm also just still at the chunk of the game which everyone has talked about how the middle of Death Stranding Mm -hmm. has this this sort of long stretch of time where you're doing all of these little side quests and some of their mandatory side quests. So I shouldn't really call them side quests, even though everything in the game feels like, like a side quest. Right, It's all kind That's, of side questy. You're just doing deliveries because you're a delivery guy in the apocalypse. So every single thing you do in the game feels side questy and mm-hmm. you meet a bunch of different kinds of people living in the world, but there are certain side quests. They're called orders for Sam as opposed to standard orders that advance the plot. And so I had kind of been like, all right, I'm only going to do the orders for Sam. I'm not going to do any more standard orders. I'm just going to try to see the story because I think the story is weird and funny and I want to know what happens. But it's also just 
causing weird problems because if you don't hang around in certain areas of the game and like build mm. stuff and participate mm-hmm, in the other mm-hmm. aspect of the game which is like you build bridges you share things with players you like experience the world of the game and experiment with it and change it in that sort of no man's sky-esque way you're kind right. of missing out on this core part of the game which is like fucking around and just exploring mm-hmm. and building stuff and there's also side quests that kind of reward you for doing that like i did one where the outcome is different depending on if you stick around and build more stuff or not. I'm being vague here because I'm always trying not to spoil this game. But like if I were to stick around in this area and build more things, a different thing would happen than if I leave. And and then finding that out just because I was like Googling around about it, I was like, oh, right. maybe I'm playing this game wrong. And then right. anyway, I went to New York City. <laughs> and, <I visited laughs> and then the I had to travel. And then I, I wasn't playing Dust Training at all anymore because I, uh, right. I had to go. And I, I had to figure out what I was going to bring with me. And I brought my 3DS and I just I just played Super Metroid because I couldn't decide <laughs> what game I wanted to play. Hey man, and I sometimes. was just like, you know what's really comforting? A game I've already mm-hmm. played and am deeply familiar with, and I know mm-hmm. where everything is. I've listened to the soundtrack ten billion times, and it just feels like. It, it, like it's like the equivalent of like rewatching a TV show that you've seen a thousand times. Like it's like how I imagine mm-hmm. Jason feels about the Sopranos or whatever. Like that's me <laughs> playing Super Metroid or like you rewatching The Wire over right, and over right, again. Like right. you know what's going to happen. It mm-hmm. just feels comforting. I have no new outstanding observations to make about Super Metroid. <laughs> I think it's, it's a, a game. great game. Yeah. I think it's wonderful. I think the game shows and does not tell you what to do and so so many small and wonderful ways. I think it's cool that Metroid games taught players to walk left instead of right so often because cool <laughs> yeah. shit is always on the left side in a Metroid game mm-hmm. and they just train you to do that. And I just think it's great. I love Super Metroid. And maybe someday I'll play Death Stranding again, but now I'm kind of like, what if I just beat Super Metroid? <laughs> I don't could. know. I think you, what what even are cool new things. games? Do I even care about new releases? Maybe I don't. Maybe I just play forever. Metroid games now. I don't yeah. know. Do you have a comfort game that's like this for you, Kirk, that you've played over oh, and over? Or sure. like a world that you retreat to? For a while, actually, Half-Life 2 was that for me. Ah, and of course. for a while, Far Cry 2 was that for me, too, where mm-hmm. I was like, I'm just going to play this. I mean, I love replaying games. I haven't been replaying them as much. I guess The Witcher 3, the yes, one I've been going back to it recently. That does seem like it would be one of yours. It's yeah. kind of felt that way going back to it. I'm like, oh, I just I like this story. It's fun to play through it again, and I know what's going to happen, so I can kind of skip stuff that I've seen and don't care about, and it has that, you know, yeah. all those things that make replaying a game better. I should play Super Metroid though. I gotta plug in my 3DS because I gotta I gotta download gotta, uh, Kirby Planet Kirby. Robobot. <laughs> I gotta make that happen. And you know, this is not the episode where we talk about Kirby Planet Robobot. No. But I've been replaying that too, and there is oh, definitely nice. a part of Kirby Planet Robobot that I'm like. The reason I like this game so much was because I really just wanted another 2D Metroid game, and it, there's parts of it that feel a little bit like a, a mm-hmm, 2D mm-hmm. Metroid, like finding all the collectibles. And it's a Kirby gets into a mech, and that's part of the game. That's not a spoiler, and so far as you can spoil a freaking Kirby game, it's called Robobot. It is a robot. Yeah, and like you know, Kirby gets in a mech on the cover of the game or whatever. Like it's it's part of it. So it it feels it feels just a little bit Metroidy, and you Hmm. know, it's 
That's what's great about it. Maybe all yeah, games I'm should just be a Metroid playing. game. I don't I know. I think the next I think next, <laughs> so I know that Jason's also gonna play it and we're yes. gonna talk about it a little down the road. I might try to finish Luigi's Mansion next, because mm. I didn't finish that and it's really good and I want to. But uh yeah, that's it on your list. Be, it's <laughs> on the list. Game. I'm looking at the list right now. It Celeste's on there, but that'll be probably after Robobot. But I do want to mm-hmm. finally really play that game. I played some of it and was like, this is good. And then didn't but i know everyone says it's so great and i want mm-hmm. to it is so. it's great though i've got what only a couple weeks be- into april i feel like there's like a run of things that's coming out right in a row mm-hmm. and it's going to get harder to do the play old stuff or play things in a row so yeah a i mean it, it's already getting hard and i've really mm-hmm. thrown gum into the works by just throwing super metroid into it <laughs> like i really don't know why i did this i could have mm-hmm. like brought my <laughs> switch with me i could have like played yeah, a modern yeah. game I, I don't know what i'm doing Sometimes and i'm in the mood for uh for super <laughs> metroid that's just how it goes yeah anyway that's what i'm playing a tbd what i'll be playing next week I'll let you all know that. Nice. I'm, looking, I'm sure we will all hear about it. I'm looking forward to hearing about it. Yes, you will. So let's take a break, and then we'll bring on a guest. Hello, I'm Melissa Kirsch. And I'm Alice Bradley. And we're the hosts of Lifehackers podcast, The Upgrade. The Upgrade is a show about all of the ways you can improve your life. That means how to be happier and healthier and more successful and more productive and just generally better in every way. We talk about stuff like... Sex. Very few people are like, please jackhammer me for another 45 minutes. Psychedelics. You don't just go on the diving board when you're five years old and jump in the deep end because that would be traumatic. And psychopaths. Giving you exactly what you need or want without maybe you being aware that you want it. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back, now joined by a guest who is Kotaku senior reporter Nathan Grayson. Nathan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey. Oh, yeah, of course. Nice to see you, man. How's it going? Long time. You've you've allegedly never been on the show with me on here, so... Is that Um, true? As far as I'm concerned, this is the first time you've ever been on the show. What do you mean, allegedly? It's definitely true. I don't know. I've never even met you before, so that's exciting for me. It feels like that can't be true, but maybe that is actually true. true. Wow. It is true. And speaking of things I'm not aware of, uh, you play the Metro Exodus DLC, which is affiliated with a game called Metro Exodus that I didn't play. But you know who did play it? Kirk Hamilton. That is accurate. What are the odds? So, I know. I know. It's great. It's great news for the two of you. But Nathan, what did you think about this DLC? Um, yeah. So I'm still in the middle of playing it, but I've really been enjoying it so far. Um, so is this the, the one what is this dlc just to nutshell it for people is this um, the one where you're playing as the american guy yes so okay. yeah basically um unlike the prior one which took place during the events of exodus uh mm-hmm. sam's story is what sam. this one is called and it's Good after sam yeah it's after exodus ends it's after that whole journey oh, okay. concludes mm-hmm. um and sam is just trying to get back to america Specifically, and I did not know this until I started playing it, he's trying to get back to San Diego, California, which is such a funny origin point of origin to me. Um, I yeah, live like far about, away. well, also like I live about an hour and a half from San Diego, and like San Diego's not like a place where people commonly say like, oh man, I just really want to go back to San Diego, um, <laughs> home of like strip malls for rich people and nothing else. Um, and so Why does he, he want to get back to San Diego? Uh, it's where he's from. And, like, I guess his his dad lives there, and so he's like... And so, like, the whole thing is this huge outside shot in that his dad... Like, he mentions his dad would be in his 70s at this point. 
Okay. Um, and like, and there's been a nuclear apocalypse, so exactly. he may not be alive. Okay. Yeah. And in fact, it's very likely that he's not alive. Right. But for some reason, Sam's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow mm-hmm. my dreams. Um, and so, yeah, he's trying to... F- Does this DLC maybe have a tragic ending where he goes there and his dad is dead? And is that where you think it's heading? I, we don't yeah, know. I, I have no clue at this point. <laughs> you can say. Um, the, the DLC very much feels like the first leg of that journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, ah. So we'll we'll see how that turns out. But yeah, the basic setup is Sam wants to get home. Uh, he's, you know, just another... He's another soldier guy, so runs around. Carries a lot of guns, has a backpack. So he functions mm-hmm. similarly. So the original Metro Exodus, if anybody hasn't played this game, is this sort of half-lifey stealth action semi-open world game where you go between these open world hubs. It's pretty cool. It's like a post-apocalyptic Russia set there based on some books. Is it kind of the same, just the same deal in the DLC? Like the same kind of gameplay, same everything? Um, yeah, the, the gameplay is really similar. Um, so because you're so, an American, you're not like dual wielding like chain no. guns and just... There, there are a few funny <laughs> nods toward the Americanness of your character. Uh-huh. Um, without spoiling too much, I'll say there's one bit uh, where you can like infiltrate a bandit lair that's in a movie theater, or, like a bombed okay. out movie theater. And um, the the theater part of it still works. So there's some bandits like watching stuff, mm. and you can knock out one of the bandits, and then go find another videotape to replace the one they were watching. And you find this one like you spend an excruciating amount of time in a cutscene looking for a different videotape, <laughs> and uh-huh. like he Sam individually picks up like every tape on the shelf and kind of twists it around, and then like his view suddenly shifts like 45 degrees and he finds one like has an American flag emblazoned on it. And he's like, ah, there it is. That's the one I'm taking. (laughs) And it's like this, that's funny. Um, it's like this piece of history about how like San Diego and the city in Russia that you're in, in the game are like sister cities Uh and like had a relationship before the war or something. Do you think that like a person huh. who made this game just visited San Diego and thinks it's really amazing and then is like, okay, we're just going to like San Diego, that is just America. And so yeah. that is <laughs> yeah, that is what this or is Or like be about. that's a city they'd heard yeah. of right. and they were like, yeah, sure. San Diego, Sounds that's uh, tropical and beautiful. <laughs> Sounds um, great. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Almost, nice. almost certainly that is what happened. Um, but yeah, so they like do some stuff like that. But broadly, yeah, it's um, it, it's more Metro, albeit in the style of like the first couple areas in Metro Exodus as opposed to kind mm-hmm. of like the more linear ending areas, yeah, which I which really is, like. Yeah, the open-ended um, stuff I liked a lot in, in Exodus as well. You liked Exodus, right? Like you're feeling like you want um, to play more of that game because I liked it too. I'm not yeah, sure I need to play yeah, no, more I mean, I, uh, I I definitely liked it. It was really uneven. Um, mm. Again, the, the first couple of areas in that game to me in terms of like gameplay felt the strongest yeah and then it felt like they kind of ran out of time to do the same thing with the last couple like, areas God, it's like every video game isn't it <laughs> yep. it's almost like that happens every time people are making yeah. a game. how weird it's almost like yeah. video games yeah. are an abomination in the eyes of god that shouldn't be possible a challenging process <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no so like this feels like a much more like this feels like maybe the most complete open world they've done um mm. and that like it's really well constructed it's very dense there's a lot of stuff to do Mm-hmm. Um, and like, it's really unique as a, it's like a mixture of kind of a post-apocalyptic city and like a swampy boggy place, okay. um, which is really neat. Like you spend half your time in a boat. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of snakes and things. It's, oh, it's amazing a, actually. Yeah. Um, the boat was like, good in the opening of, of Exodus. Yeah. I like the boat. So you sequences. get more of that. And, nice. um, there, there are snakes, right? And so mm-hmm. sometimes you'll like <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> encounter them 
there'll be like a snake mm-hmm. on a corpse or something and it like leaps out and like latches onto your arm of course, and your of guy course. like pulls it off and like brutally rips it, or breaks oh. his neck um and this <laughs> so way don't like, like snakes this is, is a totally good unnecessary game. good game you could right. just yeah. toss the snake away but he's like Ugh! and like right he's kind um, of a, a snakeophobe there's yeah. a i feel like they're really big on those kind of elaborate first person animations in these games it's mm-hmm. a very like you're in your body kind of a game i like that yeah. about it like there's a lot of looking down at your watch and moving your hands around and you wear the gas mask that like gets stuff on it and there's a dedicated yep. button for wiping off your gas mask which i've always thought is like feels a little stalkery this game kind of feels like more like more ubisofty stalker maybe but i've, I've yeah. always liked that about these games yeah, I know. That's one of my favorite things about the series in general. Mm-hmm. I um, I feel like they, they're very good at making everything feel really dirty and grimy and nasty. Mm-hmm. And, like, yourself included. Especially when you mm-hmm. have the gas mask on. You're like, oh, I've got all this, like, spider ichor on oh, my yeah. face. And I've got to, like, wipe it away with my grimy palm. That's right. Oh, this um, is the game where, like, you'll be walking around and you have a lighter that you can get out. Mm-hmm. And there will be hanging spider webs because you'll be underground. And you burn the spider webs away. But if you walk through the them, spider these webs? spiders will, like, crawl over your mask. And it is heinous. <laughs> it is oh, extremely man. heinous. In this one, there are bats that do that. I can live with bats. <laughs> that bats crawl yeah. on you? Or um, do they, like, fly towards you? They fly you toward fly you. Away from and, you. like, they fly toward you in these massive packs. And there'll mm. be like one that gets stuck on you and kind of crawls up your face and then leaves uh, too. That's funny. Uh, I, was, yeah. I might play it. I, I definitely. I felt like I had my fill. Did I? I think I said this on the show, but I didn't realize that I was making decisions at various points because mm-hmm. there's like a branching narrative in Metro, and I killed a bunch of people in this uh, one area where it kind of drops you into this area. It's like a contained, semi-open part. It's like where those guys are all playing at. They are like two different factions sort of fighting one another and they're all in these different clubs and they seem kind of childlike but they're just armed dudes and I was like well okay I mean I've been killing armed dudes this whole time I'm gonna kill these guys too and then it turned out that they were like innocent people or something and I'd murdered them mm-hmm. all and so then the ending I got like a really shitty ending and it kind of bummed me out <laughs> so yeah, I, no. I, don't um, know. I felt like I'd had my fill yeah did you get a good ending Nathan I when did you played it? but only because <laughs> Um, you're more I'm like, moral yeah, because you're a better person. Really That's mean. one reason. <laughs> well, that that is key to this. Yes, um, I've always regarded myself as a better person than Kirk Hamilton, yeah, and I tell him this frequently. Um, of course, but no, the um, I, I'm I'm in really deep with this series. Like I played all the games. Oh yeah, same. And um, they've always been known for like the really opaque morality system. And so I was super obsessive about everything I did in Exodus to make sure I didn't mm. run afoul mm-hmm. of the morality mm. system. And so like. I basically did a non-lethal playthrough on my first playthrough. Oh, uh, okay. Um, wow. To make sure I did not get a bad ending. Right. And um, then I like did research and found out that you can kill most random bandits mm-hmm. and not incur any sort of morality penalty. Um, so in this DLC, I've been a little bit more like, right. you know, if they shoot me, Killing I Killing a bandit here and there. Yeah, it's like uh, life. You can, yeah. you can kill most people. You just have to be careful because sometimes you kill, you kill the wrong bandit. person. And then you're, right. you're doomed yeah. for all time. Man, that's a beautiful lesson. Yeah, it is. It is. Video <laughs> games teach us things. <laughs> um, but okay. before we move on to Metro, I do have to add one more thing. Okay. Which is okay, that, go um, for it. This DLC is a lot more like intentionally funny okay. than other Metro stuff has been. Mm-hmm. Like Metro's always had kind of a dark sense of humor to it. It does have a it. sense of humor, though. Um, it's a particular thing, yeah. but it can be funny. But um, there's a uh, there's a video that will probably already be on Kotaku.com by the time this podcast goes up um, that Chris Person and I filmed today. And... Uh, 
we opened that by doing a cutscene where just like it's an extended drinking montage <laughs> between Sam and this other character, mm-hmm. and it uses all these like really clever jump cuts where every time you take a big drink, you cut to the next. Oh, like, it's like Red, to like a new in location. Red Dead Redemption too. They did that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like you're just doing all these shenanigans with. I, I have almost no doubt it was directly inspired by that yeah. scene in Red That's Dead. It's like a, definitely a new um, trope in games. I'm a fan. That's almost yes. always charming whenever it happens. But yeah, so they do a big a, a big thing there. There's also like a side quest that I did where um, a couple of brothers are fighting over who owns a car dealership <laughs> that is entirely moot because nobody right, uses cars right. and all the cars are broken and dead. Right. Um, That's the principle of the thing. Yes, exactly. Right. Um, and so yeah, there's a lot more like intentional hum- humor to it, hmm. and I've been very I've been very charmed mm, by it. This makes me uh, more likely to play it. I think. Nice. Um, however, I've encountered zero characters who are women. Literally every single. I mean, it's a metro game. game so who they needs them? You know what I mean? Some variety of bald this is an <laughs> intensely male series. I think that is yes. the very true thing about these games. That is that is too bad. Yes. though. just like the real world. <laughs> Never seen a woman, and mm. I don't think I ever will at the rate I'm going. No, true. So on that note, <laughs> let's change topics wildly to something that doesn't have to do with metro at all, which is that Nathan has written several articles lately about streamers. It's kind of your beat. Nathan, this isn't unusual for you. But one of these articles, which is called Top Streamers Are Leaving Twitch Amidst Big Money and Shady Deals, it's very long, very comprehensive, and very good. And Mm -hmm. it is about this period of time at the end of last year where Ninja left Twitch and a bunch of other folks left Twitch and nobody knew why or that many details about the kinds of money that was on the line for these streamers and the kinds of deals that they were able to make. And Nathan, you talked to a bunch of people about it. And what was interesting to me about the story is that you talked to some sort of small time sort of bourgeoisie middle class streamers (laughs) about their situations as well and how much they're also affected by these huge deals that are happening with other streamers like the ninjas of the world. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so Nathan, why don't you just tell us about the process behind this article and and what you found out? Um, Yes, I mean, I wanted to figure out, like you're saying, kind of why these deals were happening and um, what was making them enticing. Because theoretically, you know, well, not theoretically, in terms of pure numbers, Twitch is the biggest live streaming platform, um, kind of by a mile. Uh, Other platforms are catching up, but it's a slow process. Twitch still has like um, some 60% of the market share, which is ridiculous. Um, So yeah, I sort of started by just like asking around initially about like kind of numbers and ballparks for like what Ninja was making and things like that. Um, and then started finding out more and more about like the process of, first of all, like platforms were making deals before like this whole new era of like Mixer doing it ever came along. Even Mixer was doing it just with much smaller streamers. Uh, to your point about smaller streamers being affected, some of the ones who were affected were ones who had made deals with Mixer previously and, you know, Mixer promised them the moon and the stars or whatever. And then suddenly everything just kind of changed toward the middle of last year. After the Ninja deal, yeah. Yeah. Like there's this whole chunk in the middle of this article about some of the streamers who had been on really good terms with Mixer financially and like we're making deals with them. And then they made this massive deal to lure Ninja away from Twitch. And then it was like, oh, they're not answering my calls anymore. Uh, Mixer spent a whole lot of money on this other guy. Seemingly, it seems like that. Um, Yeah, I think it was partially that and also partially like a... The impression I got, and a thing that I I couldn't really pin down enough to like super include in the article, although I think there's a quote in there that mentioned it, but um, I think there's also a lot of like turnover on the Mixer team. 
I think a lot mm-hmm. of people who like had one set of plans for how they're going to grow that sort of right. left or went to other parts of Microsoft. And then the people who took over were like, hey, um, let's do this a little bit differently. And the other big thing that influenced Microsoft's process there is that they're about to launch a new Xbox. And right. so their kind of broader goal seems to be um, to turn Mixer not into like the next Twitch because they're just not big enough, but rather to create another way to market e- Xbox and Microsoft mm. products um, using friendly faces everybody knows. Let me ask mm-hmm. you. So Mixer and Twitch are the two companies we're talking about right now. Amazon owns Twitch. Microsoft owns Mixer. Who are the other competitors, just for people who might not follow this that closely? Like, what's uh, yes. the, the sort of galaxy of streaming yeah. look like? Um, so the other two big ones are Facebook and YouTube. Mm, okay. Uh, face or YouTube is far and away the most credible threat to Twitch in terms of size. Mm-hmm. Uh, for one, like, so... Uh, Twitch has like 15 or sorry. Yeah. 15 million like daily active users, which is a big number. Sure. Um, Sounds big. 15 and million. That's all that's for a live lot. streaming. <laughs> but uh, for gaming alone, YouTube has 200 million daily active users. Right. And this is counting like just people uploading gameplay clips and whatever. Right. And, yeah. These and, are numbers my human brain can't right, conceive. That number right. is so large. I don't know what it means. But yeah, continue. Yeah. Sure. One of them's uh, bigger than the other. 200 is yeah. bigger than 15. <laughs> Point being, uh, YouTube doesn't have that as many people as Twitch watching live streaming. That, right, would have been have way bigger potential to have that many people watch live streaming, and then some. Mm-hmm. And so I mm-hmm. think they're sort of banking on that. Um, and that's also why YouTube is, like, a really big threat. Meanwhile, Mixer is, like, a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of all of that. Um, right. And then Facebook is, like, gaining ground just because of their Facebook. And they have, like, you know, a big algorithmic content distribution model that they can leverage at any given moment to show us anything they want to because the world is a nightmare. Um, (laughs) And they also, Facebook had, had leveraged some deals as well. Like you mentioned them in this article too, as an example of a company that's luring people away from their former platforms. So they're getting in there. They're getting in there. Yeah. Yeah, no, they definitely are. (laughs) So it seems as though each of these companies also, because you mentioned that Microsoft wants to maybe use Mixer as a way to promote the Xbox, whatever it's called, the new Xbox, um, and that and Halo and right, and so which on. makes yeah, sense. No, the, uh, though, the Xbox Scarlet Johansson. It seems to the Xbox Scarlet <laughs> Johansson exactly. It's it's yeah. Yeah, the Xbox Black Widow. That'll be the the like, the faster one. <laughs> that would have been that cool. Been kind of cool. Yeah. Actually. I don't think they have the rights to it. Don't ask me why. Yeah, that probably would have been a lawsuit. <laughs> um, it seems to me like that's short sighted. Only if that's their primary focus. Only because to me, like streaming is itself like just from reading your coverage, which I don't watch a lot of streamers, mm-hmm. but I read the stuff you publish. It seems like that alone, it's like this huge cultural thing. It's this huge deal. There's all these people doing it. There's all this money that thinking of it that way seems short-sighted, which it would not be the first time that Microsoft kind of had a thing and then bungled it because they weren't totally sure what to do with it. But I guess my (laughs) thought is, I want to know more about the streamers, so I don't want to sidetrack us and like talking about game consoles and shit. But it's it's occurring to me that... (laughs) And brands. Yeah, brands and like they're... the technology they're making, their machinations, and <laughs> how much like, money each so of them Amazon has. Amazon has has been like failing, but sort of flirting with getting into making video games for a long time. Microsoft obviously right. is a major player. Facebook does own Oculus, Google also and exactly, and Google owns um, YouTube, and so Google like they have. And that was always the thing with Stadia. And Stadia is going so <laughs> well, well. It was though, but like one of the cool <laughs> ideas that Stadia had was this idea of like you can be watching a stream on YouTube, yes. and then it's like integrated with Stadia. 
and you press a button. Like obviously that's mm-hmm. like super far from what's actually happening. But um, but uh-huh. that to me, I don't know. I, that's just sort of an interesting angle that I hadn't considered. I don't even know if I have a point here. I'm just <laughs> you mentioning the Xbox <laughs> like just, made me think. Oh, um, <laughs> there's also this whole other industry vector to the thing in addition to the personalities yeah. that you're covering. No, I mean you're you're correct, and that is like a big reason that a lot of these companies are getting into it mm-hmm. because they all have these ways that they can tie streaming back into like the main thrust of their businesses um the weird thing is that and i go into this in the article amazon kind of doesn't have as much as one right or of one um which is why they're a little bit hesitant to like you know tie down a lot of the streamers with deals hmm. because they're right. like, even well, though they have the dominant platform it's yeah funny. um yeah so that's really interesting and to your point about like microsoft specifically and them being maybe short-sighted um i think that like the advertising thing is a major part of what they're doing but it's not all of it sure sure of um, course. and another point that a lot of people that i talked to made is that all of these companies are massive and they have the money to just kind of wait yeah do anything they, forever. they can <laughs> pump more money into these things mm-hmm. and like they're not going to go broke from trying to grow their streaming platforms right uh so this will probably right. this will probably be happening for a minute yeah. Yeah, but it but streamers are in a weird position because of all of this because now that they can be making these significant deals as you explain in the article, they suddenly have to worry about contracts that they may have no familiarity with, getting managers, getting agents and kind of being like TV or movie stars but like very small time and having a very different way into that world. Like there's the getting used to being famous aspect of it, but the interesting part to me, which is what this article is mostly about, is how they're navigating the business side and how a lot of them are not experienced with that and mm-hmm. why would they be? And these are like a form of business deal that is pretty novel. And yeah, so Nathan, feel free to expound further on that. You you know more about that, that yeah. than I do. Yeah, no. So, I mean, it's becoming much more of like a traditional kind of Hollywood style business where, yeah, everybody has agents and managers and things like that. Um, there are even some just like straight up um, Hollywood talent agencies that are involved now. Sure. Um, but, you know, the thing is, a lot of the people who stream are just folks who like, came up playing video games in their bedrooms they weren't <laughs> yep. preparing to be stars they didn't take any classes about like the business side or of things contract or, like, Hollywood law. Right, yeah right. yeah um and so like they can be taken advantage of and in some cases they have been um that is a recurring theme over the course of what i heard in my reporting is that um like agencies or management groups will offer streamers pretty bad deals because they're the ones negotiating with brands and people who are who will sponsor streamers and so streamers don't necessarily hear what the actual offer is they just hear hear what their agency or what their manager is telling them or like what percentage they're going to get which they might not realize is an extremely low percentage yeah. like in the examples you're providing you'll be like oh like the streamer is going to get a thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars or whatever from this deal and they don't realize that their their agency is getting significantly more money than that off of whatever deal it is because they're just not privy to that information and why would they be and yeah that's sucks <laughs> right <laughs> for them and yeah i mean people are still working to figure out like what the standard for all of this is like there are so many different types of groups that are managing streamers um like some are actual like agencies that are beholden to like state laws and others yeah. are just mm-hmm. like yeah we we're mainly focused on streamers we're a management group um so like different we we adhere to different rules um yeah so it's like a it's a wild west type of situation it does feel um, which is way. not to say that like th- this has been growing 
um, for the past couple of years or for the past few years. Sure. Like streamers yeah. have had managers and agents for a little bit now. Um, but like this whole shift in things, this whole like everybody, you know, suddenly being offered deals by platforms um, and brands getting more and more involved has like necessitated it on a larger scale for more people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's like everything is evolving very rapidly. It's um, it's kind of wild. There was a there's a time period like even last year where mo- for the most part, if I was going to like reach out to a streamer, I just like hit up their Gmail and it was that <laughs> right. simple. Um, and now it's like you got to go through like layers of management and all these other things. Right. Um, Which is more for most everybody of what you would expect, right? Because these people are like major celebrities Famous. pulling down tons yeah. of money. It's this thing that's happening right now that I, so I'm obviously following pod, the world of podcasting much more closely than I used to. And there's a lot of similarities in the world of podcasting to the stuff you're talking about and also the stuff we see with like YouTube content creators mm-hmm. because it's like a world where there are new like content brands or whatever, like or, or types, not brands like a, a podcast is just sort of a new thing. The way that it exists now, the way that there's like a huge market for it and a huge appetite for podcasts. And you can just make a podcast by yourself, like very, pretty easily, the same as you can be a Twitch streamer. And even if you're like a really serious streamer, you got the chair, you know, you have to have the chair, you have some cool lights. <laughs> yeah, you gotta have a you gamer like chair. You like made your yeah. room in your apartment look Wait a minute, Maddie, sick. are you a really serious Twitch streamer? I um, think I yeah, might be. True. I do have a gamer chair. Yeah, for the for the benefit of the audience, she's sitting in one right I now. I do yes. work for Kotaku.com. Yeah, you should have anyway, a gamer chair. Continue, Kirk. <laughs> well, so like you you can set that up and look. I'm looking at some of the pictures in your article, Nathan, and some of them are amazing. Like these people look so cool. What's the one? Where's the guy? I know, right? It's um oh Shroud. The picture of Shroud. He looks like he's yeah. like on the fucking bridge of a starship. Like his room I mean, looks so sweet. Fair, that was like his. Big oh yeah, that's definitely got to be a, an, a like promotional um, picture. Yeah, he had to go for yeah. to a starship to to make that announcement. On my starship, Microsoft is just throwing money around. They bought a star a starship for marketing. But, but at the same time, to be able to ha- to have a rig set up like that, you just need a stable internet connection and like a few thousand dollars. Like it's not the kind of thing you would need to make a TV show, for example, or something that is like or like get a sound stage exactly. or whatever. And there's a whole existing yeah. apparatus for making a TV show and selling that, and that it go it then gets fed into this larger industry where all this stuff is just cropping up. You ke- I keep getting this sense that even I mean, and Netflix is similar to this, where like one person just sort of has the good idea. Idea that catches on the same way Twitch did and just becomes mm-hmm. a de facto monopoly. That kind of the way that Steam did too. Like it just does because it's the only thing that anyone can use for so long. And now all these people are like, wait a minute, we need to get in on this thing. And then all of the <laughs> yeah. people creating stuff for it sort of just get caught up in this huge world of competing massive money operations despite coming from just doing a thing in their bedroom, which creates a lot of interesting dynamics that I think you're doing a really good job of covering. Oh. Thank you, Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> but also, the apparatus does benefit them, which you also point out in this article, Nathan. Like mm-hmm. this, the competition of Facebook and, and YouTube and all of the rest of them, and also the fact that now managers and agents, like there are obvious problems with them getting involved. They, you know, streamers can be taken advantage of. But it's significantly better for them to have that apparatus than it was before, sure. when there was nothing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. no, there wasn't a way to make a living, and there was also like no institutionalized path towards. Mm-hmm. It. And people were just kind of making it up as they went and like doing Patreons or like yeah. doing different well, donations like, and, and things like were, that. Maybe maybe this is my segue yeah. to us talking about donations. I don't know. <laughs> no, we no, can I mean, talk about that in a second. But, uh, but it did seem, Nathan, like you thought this is 
potentially a good patch. Yeah, I mean, it has some some problems. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it standardizes or it stands to standardize things more. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see on that front. But I think before, yeah, like a lot of it was, you know, people just figuring out various ways to make money. And then on top mm-hmm. of that, there was just one company making the rules. Um, it right. was just Twitch. Right. And Twitch has shown repeatedly um, a willingness to let people work themselves to the bone um, in exchange yeah. for varying amounts of money. But like no matter no matter <laughs> how you slice it, uh, Twitch is not the healthiest work environment. And so uh, I think, you know, that was an undercurrent in my piece, too, is that there are some people who are like, yeah, I was grinding my life away on Twitch to hold on to the same audience, not even really to grow it. And I was like. I, I kind of don't want to be doing this this much anymore, especially not when there's not like a tangible reward for it. Um, and so like, yeah, I think there's, there, there's room now for more people to, or at least some people to stream a little bit less uh, while still, you know, being able to make consistent money. Um, because that was the other big thing is that like uh, any income you got on Twitch, even if you like figured out a way to, you know, make money semi-reliably even that was still inconsistent right that still came in based on you know what kind of deals you'd been cutting with brands or even like you know just your your viewership and donations and subscriptions and if you were to take a break then suddenly a lot of your subscribers would just go out the door uh and mm-hmm. so you felt this enormous pressure to keep going and going and going and going mm-hmm. uh, and theoretically this could you know this could lead to changes on that front um, will how widespread will they be? That remains to be seen. Because I mean, this could be a situation where only the absolute upper echelon of streamers gets to work a little bit less, and everybody yeah. else still has to destroy themselves for a very tiny slice of the pie. It can so. it yeah. can only help if there isn't one company in charge of like the flow of information, like in controlling the platform. I think mm-hmm. about this with YouTube all the time. Where people will just talk about how, you know, like there's a whole sub genre of YouTube video that is about what's happening right now on YouTube to me, basically, like the content creators will make these videos that are like, well, here's what's going on right now. They changed the algorithm and I'm getting fucked this way or that way. And like my, you know, and my whole career and my whole livelihood that I've built on this is going to fall apart. And Actually, to tie it into podcasting again, that is like a a thing that I hope never happens to podcasting. Because right now, if you make a podcast, you can put it out. It's very easy to just like get it to people. And there's a thousand different distribution platforms. You can put it on every platform and no one is there to stop you. Right, their very door is open. You can just post it on an RSS and it's very simple. You don't need it because it's not video. It doesn't really require a ton of bandwidth. It always freaks me out to imagine a world where that isn't the case. Because it's so nice just on that level for anyone making stuff to be able to say... Okay, like, well, I don't like where I'm doing this. I'm going to just tell all my fans I'm going over here. You can just still find my stuff. So that at least mm-hmm. seems like a good a good thing. Um, I, I'm really curious now. Why do you, you, Kirk, the podcaster here, definitely not Maddie, <laughs> who, you know, doesn't have multiple <laughs> I don't know what a podcast is, like and I'm, I'm planning to ask Kirk um, after this what it is. But yeah, no. Uh, why do, why, why don't you think somebody why has nobody made like a pod tube or whatever like an attempt at a centralized podcasting platform in the way that youtube is for video i could see spotify yeah. heading in that i think direction. spotify is probably i feel like they're threatening they're to. trying it the most 
Welcome to Pod Talk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Our Happy podcast to, about podcasting. To nerd out about <laughs> podcasting. I will. This is a shout Your out. Podcast within a podcast about podcasting. For anyone who is uh-huh, interested uh-huh. in um, podcast industry news, I will shout out the newsletter Hot Pod, which you can find pretty easily online and also has a great name. It's like a weekly newsletter. It it's really, really good. It's kind of one guy who runs it. Kirk is obsessed with it. Kirk asks <laughs> every two weeks or so, do you subscribe to Hot Pod? He asks me. I just want to make sure that, that you guys do because we, we talk we about podcast yes, industry stuff and then that's where there's a lot of good podcast industry news um anyways i think spotify is probably the closest they're trying to do it but there's so much built-in resistance to that kind of a thing like people get understandably pretty grumpy when a new podcast comes out and it's only on spotify which you'll see now you have to get and stitcher is doing it you'll have to download it through the stitcher app and listen there people really like putting their podcasts wherever they want to and it's just an mp3 file like it's like a you know, a thing you can just post anywhere online and people can download it. So I think Mm -hmm. that because that's so easy, as long as Apple really, it's mainly like Apple is such a huge part of the podcast market. I would say that as long as they just keep their doors open and say, yeah, we'll take any RSS feed, people can listen to it on their iPhones. You know, we don't care about like you giving us anything exclusive. As long as that's the case, which I hope will remain the case because... That would suck if it didn't. But as long as that remains the case, I think that it'll always there will always be an openness just because people expect it and people creating it like it. And I think it's created this huge diversity of really good shows. So hopefully it doesn't I don't like I don't know if you can take the diversity that exists right now and narrow it down. Like the the things we're all talking about started pretty narrow and now people are trying to diversify. This is sort of the opposite situation mm-hmm. with podcasts. And it seems like yes, that's a lot harder so. to make that happen. That's just my sense, though. Yeah. I'm, I'm no industry expert. I think you're right. Like, I think Twitch actually is the backward situation Mm -hmm. where like Twitch was doing a thing. People didn't necessarily own what Twitch was doing or own their own videos or or whatever it may be. I don't know the legalities of that. But now all of these other services existing is, I think, a good thing. It can only be a good thing, even though I don't necessarily think YouTube, Facebook, (laughs) Amazon are are ethical or good. You you don't think YouTube, Facebook, (laughs) Amazon, you don't think those the friends of the people are are ethical? Uh, Are on our side? No, I don't necessarily, but you know what? It's fun when Godzilla fights Mothra. You know what I mean? That's true. It benefits all of us and we all get to watch it. Why didn't we we headline my article, Godzilla vs. Versus Mothra colon it benefits all of us. Twitch versus Mixer. <laughs> I'm sure that would get a lot of clicks. It benefits all of I us. I have a lot of confused Actually, comments. Yeah, Nathan, that's your next assignment. That's the next article you're going to write. I don't care what's in it, but that's the headline. I guess we can leave it there. Nice. I was going to shout out a different article that Nathan wrote, but you know we're we're coming up on on talking about this for a long time. But so I'll just say I think it was good. He also wrote why Twitch fans donate money to wealthy streamers, was, which is sort of related yeah, to one. this topic that we're talking about about how once streamers pass a certain level, should they continue to accept uh, donations from fans or not? And some of them do and some of them don't. And it's all just interesting in this uh, this gig economy, yeah. folks. How, mm-hmm. how people are making it work and or not making it work is fascinating to me. And it's something that Nathan has been doing a great job covering at Kotaku for a very long time. Uh-huh. You are both very kind. Mm-hmm. We are. We're so great. So magnanimous for having you, you on the show. You are almost as kind as Facebook, YouTube, Google, and <laughs> almost, Amazon. Almost. Almost. Let's but not, not get quite. carried away. Not Let's not get quite. carried away. Yeah. We're, we're okay. We're not that So good. thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Nathan. It was yeah, a thanks. pleasure. Yeah. It was great being on here for the first time since Maddie became ever. the host like eight years <laughs> ever. ago. Ever. The first time ever. I don't even know about that before time that you're talking about. It doesn't yeah. exist as far as I'm concerned. Woof. <laughs> <laughs>
back for some off-topic discussion of non-video game things. We sure are. Kirk, why don't you go first? I will. I was thinking about how I'm going to be talking about the new John Wick movie, or the latest John Wick movie, and how, is that a non-video game thing? It's pretty video <laughs> gamey. Fairly it's, video There's definitely gamey. a lot of overlap in the Venn yeah. diagram of people who are interested in video game yes. things and people who are interested in John Wick. And even That's... like the way John Wick works, like it's kind of like a video game, even though mm-hmm. I don't see that as the pejorative that some people do when they... um. When they, when they describe say a movie the is like a video game? Yeah, they like derisively say, oh, it's like watching a video game. Um, right. Yeah, so I finally watched John Wick, which is uh, John Wick 3, which is actually called John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum. Very video game title also. Yeah. So Parabellum is like a type of bullet. And that's always been my knowledge of it. I wrote this article forever ago, or when I was like a Kotaku, about like guns and like the weird, this is my lifelong relationship with them and how like growing up in this gun culture and like really liking guns as a kid and wanting to play with them, but my parents wouldn't let me have them. And I remember Parabellum from these books that I would read that I talked about in that article, the Phoenix Force books, which were these really trashy um paperbacks that were just about this like kind of the a-team they were really violent and these guys would just go like kill terrorists and shit they they were like very much 1980s relics these books but they would Mm -hmm. always talk about parabellum like it would always be like he sprayed parabellum death into the room (laughs) that was like parabellum death was like a big thing (laughs) yeah because like the bullets were parabellum rounds i guess i don't know so i always associated with bullets but it's interesting because they in the movie they are speaking in latin because these movies are so baroque and there's always all these ridiculous like sequences where someone will say some shit in latin it's usually i think it's what's his name ian uh from deadwood uh who is fantastic there's so many good actors in these movies that have so much fun um but parabellum means to prepare for war because like antebellum like the antebellum Ah. south is like what that means Wait, before war, right? Like ante, yeah, you ante up at the table. So that's pre-war South. If you're in the antebellum South, that's like before the Civil War ravaged everything. So parabellum is to prepare for war. And I thought that was interesting. I'd never thought that that's actually where that comes from. And then a parabellum bullet round sort of makes sense that it would be used to describe that. So um, those are all my thoughts on John Wick. No, just kidding. (laughs) Anyways, Latin. Just the title of John Wick really is the main thing you wanted to talk about. No real thoughts on the film itself. Okay. You know, it's a fun movie. The way I describe John Wick now is that John Wick movies are for people who like action movies and dogs. (laughs) That's, that's the audience they're going for. And they're very good at the audience they're going for that. Just from the jump, that was who they wanted to get. Well, and you know, like, so the first one for sure is like the whole plot of the first John Wick is this guy kills his dog and then he murders like 5,000 people. And, um, and it's because, you know, his revenge. It's it's the dog is put in the fridge, which is like it's a very like it's like a twist on the fridging because yes, his wife does dog. die at the beginning, <laughs> but she dies of cancer and he's very sad. And so this he is gets like the dog. Yeah. Right. Well, she as her dying like plan because she knew she was dying. This is actually a very touching thing that I didn't know you could do, but it would be amazing if you're like dying and leaving a, a beloved spouse behind. She arranges for this puppy to be delivered to him on the day he like gets back from the hospital where she has died and it's this puppy and it's like here take this puppy it's from me to you so he like sees the puppy as his wife so they kind of do kill his wife to give him motivation only it's a puppy so maybe uh-huh. it's like 
worse <laughs> or better. I don't know. They kill this really cute puppy in the first one anyways. And he murders everyone and you're like, yeah, fuck yeah, kill all those guys. Then he gets a new dog. Then in the second movie, he has this great dog. It's this wonderful, like, staffy kind of pity dog. Oh my gosh, it's like the best dog. I want to pet his face. And then he, at the beginning, has the dog and you're like, oh shit, this is going to be a whole movie. Is the dog going to die? And then yeah. he just gives the dog to Lance Reddick's character and is like, can you take care of him? And he's like, sure. And then the dog is totally safe the whole movie. And then at the end, he like gets the dog back. Um, or maybe at the beginning of the third one. In the third one, and this is, I'm assuming this game movie has been out long enough. I'm not going to spoil major things, but this movie is sort of I mean, of major spoilers for the status of the dogs in these yeah, movies. I feel like that is what some people care about. In the third one, though, so his dog is fine. And then Halle Berry turns up in this movie. Um, and there's this part, because these movies are just set pieces. I mean, he's like, everyone's trying to kill him now. So it's just like mm-hmm. him versus everybody. And like the right. dudes from the raid turn up and there's this amazing knife fight. And then there's this whole sequence with horses. Oh my God. There's like a part where he is in New York and he runs through like the horse I think it's like for the horse-drawn carriages he like runs into the stable and he's fighting with dudes and like the horse is there and then the guy will be standing behind the, the horse and he'll like slap the horse on the back and it'll kick the guy like through the wall and this happens <laughs> multiple times where he is using the horse as a weapon of course the horses are never harmed because of these course. movies don't really hurt animals they're like now at this point the not animals are not after that are... one dog at the very beginning exactly they have a lot of blood on their hands they have a lot to atone for so anyways um, that's great and then Halle Berry turns up and she has these two dogs and there is this action sequence involving Halle Berry and her two dogs that is like the most completely bananas like dog pet like animal involving action scene I've ever seen like it's so incredible the dogs are just murdering everybody and like she like fights with the dogs as like one unit almost and they like do everything she says and the dogs are like these amazing stunt dogs and it's just this protracted like her John Wick and the two dogs just taking down an army of guys and it is amazing like it's like worth watching the movie just for this sequence if you can get into like ultra violence which is very very violent but anyways um, I liked it it was dumb like the farther they go into the well there's a whole cool world building have you seen any of the John Wick movies no there's like I just know so much about them at this <laughs> point sure. that I that I feel like I've seen all of them. Right. But I have never actually sat down and watched them. But if you're like online, I feel like you just you've yeah, seen, I've seen so many memes, I've seen so many yes, gifts, so many yes. YouTube clips. Like yes. I I may as well say yes to this question. Continue. <laughs> They're fun for a lot of reasons. It's fun because to see Keanu like really just sinking into this fun, weird role that he's found. Mm-hmm. They're it's directed by like his stunt man from the Matrix. So it's like very stunt or or orchestra or uh, stunt focused I guess and like it's fun to watch real people do real things I'm increasingly just like watching I don't know like I watched Alita Battle Angel I should have put that as my (laughs) off topic that movie is like fine kind of a mess and there's these sequences where the best sequences in that movie are all stunts and they're rare because there's a lot of CG in it and the CG Mm -hmm. fight scenes where it's just like CG robots fighting I'm like what this just is stupid it's like a cartoon John Wick it's so much real people jumping around and doing stuff and it's just fun to watch so very stunty but there's this whole lore that was like in the background of the first one with like the continental this world of assassins these coins Mm, they use right right, the coins (laughs) it was very hinted at and like pretty fun like by the end of the movie you're like oh this is kind of fun they like teased at the edges of this other world below our own you know and then mm-hmm. in the sequels of course it's this is very video games they the more they go into the lore and are like here's what the coins mean and here's the other kind and here's a marker and what it means to have a marker on someone and like here's the whole world of like the the whatever weird tattooed secretaries that like keep track of who's getting killed and like they and it's all these fun flourishes but the more they explain it the kind of less they need to and the yeah. third one definitely gets into like there's like a scene where he goes to 
to the desert to find some guy and he's like if you wander toward this constellation in the sky like it just really gets it's very silly and who cares but it is a little bit like okay you don't need to do so much explaining <laughs> and just like show me cool scenes where like dudes and dogs are killing everybody like that's that's really what I'm here for but I'll, they set up another one, I think. So they're going to make another one, and I will watch it because these movies are pretty fun. So that's That's me. great. I think you'd probably like what my first off topic is, which is Birds of Prey, and I which I, I assume you haven't seen yet. I have not. So I just saw this a couple days ago. I really loved it. It is not deep at all. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and say that. Uh-huh. You should not be going to this movie for a deep take on, like, female friendship or whatever. (laughs) I wish it were that. It's truly not that at all. It is an R-rated, very gory, very like slow, methodical, awesome fight scene movie. Mm. And I've seen some people talk about how they feel like the fight scenes are like slow or boring. And I just super didn't think that at all. I loved them. And like, there's like this scene where Harley Quinn has a bat. Anyway, I should explain what this movie actually is for people (laughs) who have no idea. So it is a DC Universe movie. It feels like a movie that started out being written as a Harley Quinn solo movie and then eventually they realized it would be a lot more fun to have Mm -hmm. it be a Birds of Prey movie with like Huntress in there and Canary in there and Cassandra Cain who like becomes Robin at one point in the comics but in this movie she's just Mm -hmm. a pickpocket and that's all you need to know about her and Rosie Perez is in it as the cop whose name I'm forgetting sorry I'm a Marvel fangirl not a DC fangirl she's a cop okay I don't no, she's that character. So uh-huh. they it becomes a team up, but that's not until the end of the movie. Mostly it's like a breakup movie where Harley Quinn is just broken up with the Joker before the movie starts. And Got then it's it. like her recovery trajectory, which involves just killing the shit out of sure. a bunch of dudes because <laughs> she's not under Joker's protection anymore. So she has uh, to kind of okay. establish herself as a sort of mob boss queen in her own right and like carve out her own like super villain persona and her own territory without that additional protection and Mm. that's a really cool premise for a movie i don't know that they stick the landing on all of it but i really enjoyed it and that is something i guess and it's it's very bright and glittery and cartoony at certain points but in ways that i thought really worked with like the gratuitous violence i don't know Mm. i just i enjoyed it a lot i thought it was very good uh, I, I like. It. I well, so I watched. The, I think the DC movies are kind of interesting. I think I've yeah, watched. Yeah, they're all weird. They do not know what they are doing, and so. I think that's interesting, right? Like that they don't know what yeah. the fuck is going on. Like Marvel is at this point, it's like, oh yeah, another one of these. It's going to be entertaining and fine and whatever. Where DC, it's like Aquaman. That movie was like totally fucking weird. Like it was I like didn't, wow, I was not an Aquaman person. I didn't think it was very good. I thought it was very no. uneven and like well, strange. no, right? None of them are good. I only Wonder Woman. <laughs> Wonder Woman was like actually good like yeah. that i like that but movie because wonder woman movie. is also like very by the book in yes. certain ways like that's insofar as i have a criticism of it it's very right. safe it's like this is the story of wonder woman we're not gonna fuck around we're right. just gonna do wonder woman normally which it's gonna considering be a good movie well and like considering what they've done with all the other movies like them not fucking around is actually yeah. like pretty it was the right radical choice. yeah yeah and that gal gadot is like straight up amazing of course. like that she was a big part of just like the fact that she's like this amazing screen presence she was so good but i watched all of them i even fucking i mean i watched batman v superman it took like Same. a few nights but i watched it it was bad <laughs> i watched justice league it was bad i, I watched could suicide not watch squad i thought um, Margot i couldn't Robbie was watch very suicide squad it, though but 
it, well, so that's where good. I was going is I cannot yes. watch Suicide Squad. I Don't. like that was the only one. I started it and I was nope. like, this is bad. And then they actually got to the scene, the first scene with Harley Quinn. And it's like Margot Robbie and she's like doing gymnastics or whatever in this like glass cell. And it was all these <laughs> oh, dudes God. like and just the <laughs> like, whole thing. I was like, her. this fuck. Yeah, yeah, I was like, this fucking sucks. I was like, obviously, I've heard this movie is bad. I hate this. So I was like, I'm done. And I just bailed. I'm never going to watch that movie. She's so great, though. Like Margot Robbie, man, in uh, what's call it where she plays Tanya Harding? Yes, what's that movie I Tanya. Um, that movie I Tanya. Great. She's so good in that. Like she's a great actor, and so it's cool that she's in a new, a new movie. I heard they changed the name of this. Is that right? They changed it to be like Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey, because um, it's not doing well. It's called Birds of Prey, and there's a longer title, like a comically longer title that they show in, as a splash screen. Oh, it's like, like yeah, the story Birds of, of Prey Quinn and, and the great. Amazing Emancipation of Harley Quinn, right, or right. something like that. I don't know if they're changing I think the title. I, saw, I believe I saw because I think this movie is bombing, and I think that yeah. they're changing the name to have Harley Quinn in the title, like the actual title. And the reason I know this, or the reason I heard this, is because on Twitter, um, Edge of Tomorrow was was trending. Mm. And, oh, and I was like, talking I was like, I love that, that movie. movie. Why is this trending? Yeah. And I just clicked yeah. it. And it was because a lot of people were being like, because they changed the name of that movie to like Live, Die, Repeat, right? I think yes, is what they changed yes. it to. A terrible because name. They're, they're both, both pretty bad, bad names, names for a really good movie. Like, it's such a good movie. And so it was funny because there's all these people like sharing like cool shots of that movie and stuff, mm-hmm. just being like, oh, this is a cool movie. I see it's trending. And then yeah. some people actually talking about it in this context but uh, I thought right. that was kind of funny yeah I'm sad that this movie isn't doing well but I also get it I I sort of agree with the people who are like this didn't need to be rated R I don't think mm-hmm. it did I think mm-hmm. they could have just kept in those great fight scenes and cut out some of the gore sure, and had it sure. be a PG-13 easily and had it be just as fun just as bright and yeah. weird and like have the tone shifts between the the extreme violence and the comedy which the movie is obviously banking on it's a very harley quinn feeling to have right, that right but it, i just i don't know why they made a rated r I they're kind of like chasing they the deadpool up. thing they partly are. right like because deadpool I mean, is very harley violent quinn is kind of the, the deadpool of dc in, in mm-hmm. so many ways she has a mm-hmm. similar energy and but like yeah, deadpool anyway. what that movie made a ton of money so you can see I why know, they would at least think movie, that sounded good this movie doesn't really feel that much like Deadpool other than just the fact that it's rated R and so therefore mm-hmm. it has the trappings of an R-rated movie which and it's are like a comedy. swears and it's violence like funnier. Right, right. and it, it's it's not really I mean it's oh, funny yeah? it's got funny parts but it's more of an action movie like hmm. it's more of an action movie with tender moments where Harley Quinn is like discovering herself hmm. and it's like got some funny parts in it it's hmm. not it's not like Deadpool jokes a minute, lots of Deadpool looking at the camera and like making right. statements about the state of superheroes. There's none of right. that in this. And thank goodness, because right, that's fine. we don't need another Deadpool movie. Deadpool can be Deadpool. Anyway, yeah. I have talked for far too long. So I'll just briefly say that the other thing I, I finished is Sex Education Season 2. And I thought it was very good. And that yeah. anyone who enjoyed Season 1 should be relieved because... There ain't no sophomore slump on this one. I I really I really liked season two. I thought it was very good. Yeah, so. I'm glad to hear that. I'm six episodes in, I think, to season two. Are you liking it so far? I am liking it. Um, I like Yakov a lot. Um, yeah. I feel like that actor like got hotter, like he lost some weight. That guy is like the hottest middle-aged man on TV. It's his just ridiculous. His smile is just oh, dazzling. Unstoppable. And his eyes. Ugh, that guy. He's like uh, a Swedish actor, I think. We were looking him up. He hasn't been in a lot of other stuff, but he's great. And I like the music. I feel like... Uh, 
I'm pretty sure this is just a guess, but I I feel like the person who does the music is a woodwind player because there's a lot of like clarinet <laughs> and saxophone. Like mixed yeah. in, there's just like really cool. It'll be like a Barry Sax line, like playing a lot of the main themes are woodwind centric. And I always appreciate that. So I, I really like the music, like just the background music in the show and, and think it's, it's always great. I remember mm-hmm. thinking that about season one as well. And how could I resist making the segue? Kirk, why don't you tell <laughs> us your music pick of the week? I will. So, first of all, I did a special bonus Strong Songs mini episode about Toss a Coin to Your Witcher from The Witcher. And if anybody wants to get that song stuck in their head, they can go and listen to that. But I shared some Ethiopian music a couple of weeks ago, and people had been writing and sending me um, just a lot of people from around the world, like a lot of artists that I haven't listened to, which has been really cool because it's nice to shake things up and get out of the you know usual listening ruts that I'm in. So this music pick is by a South African uh, recording artist who goes by Simi, and her this is from her 2008 album um, Tugela Ferry. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And man, she's really cool. It's like kind of Afro pop Shade mixed with some I don't know I guess it's it's got a really smooth like house kind of a vibe but it's really relaxing and just has a lot of really cool rhythms going on underneath you know the pulse she has a great voice super cool I don't know what she's singing about but it's actually also fun to just listen to someone sing in a language you don't speak so very cool this song is called Inquade and Kane and it's got a great vibe and here is a clip from it So cool that because yeah. of, I assume because of strong songs, people just send you songs all the oh, time man, and yeah. you get to open your world. That's, it, that's such a perk. The, one of the number one things I've learned is I went in being like, I know a lot of good music that I can tell people about. And it's totally but you shifted. Don't. Other people do. <laughs> right. It's totally shifted to like, I do know a lot of good music that I can tell people about, but every time someone emails me, which they do a lot, and they're like, check out this band, I think you'll like them, especially because they know what I like. Because <laughs> like, I'm sharing something. And I'll be like, okay, and I just, it'll just be someone I don't know who's just emailing me being like, check this thing out. And nine times out of ten, I'll listen and be like, this is amazing, like, who is this? And they're usually like a big deal with a big following, but there's just so much music out there. So yeah, I, I agree, it's a great perk of of making awesome. music stuff. Yay. Yay, Yay. music. Yay, music. Yay, being alive. Anyway, that we've too. done it again. We've recorded <laughs> we another episode of this show. We sure have. And with that, we will leave you. Yeah, and we'll be next back. Next week, Jason will be back. That'll yeah, be Yeah, all three of us. The yeah. Triforce will unite, or whatever video game term you want to use. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Which Triforce piece are each of the three of us? Okay. Write in to splitscreenandkentucky.com and tell us, tell us that. Tell us what you think. And, yeah, until next time. I will see you next week, Maddie. <laughs> Bye. Kotaku Split Screen is the official podcast of Kotaku.com. It's produced by Kirk Hamilton, Jason Schreier, and me, Maddie Myers. Kirk edits and mixes the podcast and also wrote and performed our theme song and other music. You can find us on most popular podcast services, and we hope you'll leave us a review if you like what you hear. Find old episodes at kotaku.com slash splitscreen. Email us at splitscreen at kotaku.com.